And I thought we would start today just praising God with this idea that Jesus is a way maker. That Jesus is a way maker. I don't think you all hear me. I want you to stand and give God a hand clap. Jesus is a way maker. We are here because he is a way maker. Oh, I don't hear you. I know you're just being a little bit too quiet. I think you need to praise God more than that. We woke up this morning, breath in our lungs, able to speak, health in our bodies. Jesus is a way maker. Man, man. Sometimes when we hear these songs, we think to ourselves, okay, we're going through the motions, right? But we're not going through the motions. We are thanking our God for who he is and what he has done. So I'd like to begin with a little bit of prayer here. We bow your arms. Lord, we just bless your name this morning. We thank you for the service. We thank you for the fellowship right now, Lord. And also importantly, we thank you for the precious word. That I stand here delivering that word, but it's really not about me. It is about you and your glory. Let this vessel that's standing here honor you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So I titled this message in the middle of it. I thought I was gonna call it These All Die, and that actually might come with my next sermon, but I thought today I would preach something that I usually don't preach uh, or speak about, and I entitled it In the middle, middle of It, and I would ask if the audience would stand up in reverence of the word. Thank you. I'm coming from Hebrews 11, and I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 8, and then verse 13. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts and by it he being dead yet speaketh by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God but without faith it is impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must believe, must believe that he is. 
and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called out to go into a place which he should after receive an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. Verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. And were persuaded of them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Thank you. I've been thinking a lot about this sermon. How I preach it. Where do I go with it? And before we get to the shout and hallelujah that these verses ask us to do, I would ask the church to just bear with me a little while. A little while longer than usual. Tarry with me, as the old folks used to say. As we stir in the lyrics of a song, which I'm presuming many of you are familiar with. For those who grew up attending black history programs or celebrating Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday, or for those of us who found themselves unfortunately having to sit through a four hour black church service on any given Sunday, you would most likely have sung the song Lift every voice and sing. The song is sometimes referred to as the Negro National Anthem. And as a young black boy growing up in Mississippi, this song could very well have been a hymn, given how highly people regarded it. And really, it is, if you think about it, a hymn if you scrutinize the lyrics closely enough. Just to give you a little bit of a background, the song is a commentary on the experience of being black in the United States. But more broadly, it's a meditation on the American experience on the whole. But what I would ask you to recognize today is that at its core, this song is really a song about faith. It is profoundly a song about faith. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a few of the lyrics to you attempting to remain true to its cadence. But try my level best not to start singing it because I really am kind of tempted to do that. Go ahead. Well, I don't want to embarrass Pastor T. Here are the lyrics. Lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring. Ring 
with the harmonies of liberty. Let our rejoicing rise high as the glistening skies. Let it resound high. What's the audience? What do we say next? High as the roll. Let's see. Sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us. Facing the rising sun ere our new day begun. Let us march on till victory is won. Then the song dips for a second. Stony the road we trod, bitter the chastening rod, felt in the days when hope unborn had died. Yet with the steady beat, have not our weary feet come to the place from which our fathers sighed? We have come over a way that with tears has been watered. We have come treading our path through the blood of the slaughtered out from the gloomy past till now we stand at last where the white gleam of our bright star is cast. These verses stir me even now. I like to offer a bit of historical context as we love on God's holy word. And there are some striking parallels between the book of Hebrews and the song, Lift Every Voice and Sing. Most importantly, both were written to encourage a people downtrodden as they continued to suffer persecution. Scholars have determined with certainty I'm sorry, scholars have not determined, not determined with certainty, who the author of the book of Hebrews is. But we do know that it was written sometime around 67 AD before the Jewish temple was destroyed in 70 AD. What is certain is that the author of Hebrews set out to encourage Hellenistic Jews who were recent Christian converts to resist sin and cling to their new faith and avoid returning to a religious belief in the Mosaic law at a time when Emperor Nero was savagely persecuting the newly formed Christian sect. So you can see here that there are these striking parallels, these correlations, both song, both the song and the scriptures are speaking to a people oppressed. Keep that in mind as you are thinking through and meditating with me over these two very important documents. By contrast, Lift Every Voice and Sing was written as a poetic hymn by the great black novelist and poet, James Weldon Johnson. Look him up if you're not familiar. And he wrote this poem, him in 1900. The musical accompaniment to this song, which is familiar to anyone who has sung it, 
was composed by James Weldon Johnson's brother, John Rosamond Johnson. One neat fact, James Weldon Johnson was a principal of a segregated school in Florida where the song would be first performed by school, church, school children in honor of Abraham Lincoln's birthday. Church, are you with me? I know I'm giving you a big history lesson, but we're going somewhere today, right? The song has in its sonority historical pertinence and power, but the song also resonates for reasons which may not be as obvious to people. The very year that this song was written, 106 black people would be lynched by mainly white Lynching was a gruesome extra-legal enterprise which was intended to stamp out black political power and advancement in the years following the Civil War. The victims of lynching were often tortured and riddled with bullets, burned, rolled down hills and barrels with nails and spikes intended to puncture victims, hanged from trees and telephone poles and castrated. Historians have shown that at times, lynching rather perversely assumed the guise of religious ritual, with whites often appearing at these events in their Sunday best and sometimes on Sunday treating the suspended and mutilated black bodies of blacks as a kind of blood atonement for the, for the revival of white rule after the Civil War. When James Weldon Johnson wrote the lyrics to lift every voice and sing, he would most assuredly have been reflecting on the progress and racial terrorism of America's past. And I can imagine, and you can imagine with me, that somewhere along the way, he would have mused over the untold generations of black folk who lived and died, the hapless victims of centuries old, of a centuries old world turned upside down, where masters beat their slaves mercilessly on Friday and prayed in pews on Sunday, and where black people were persistently told and taught that they were lesser beings on the scale of God's grand design. Amen, Walls, I don't hear you all, but let's just keep this going. Ah, if we had faith the size of a mustard seed, we could move mountains. As if adding insult to injury, emancipation finally comes for former slaves only to see an oppressed people driven back into second-class status and into new forms of bondage in the decades following the Civil War. The precious rights which an oppressed people procured would be all but reduced to bare bones by 1900. I could hear, can you hear? I could hear Johnson's sign. 
It's a miracle that blacks could ever have become Christ followers, given the circumstances. And yet, Johnson was convinced that his people saw past the hollow pretentiousness of slaveholders' religion and embraced the more excellent truth, which is in Christ Jesus. Johnson may very well have had the book of Hebrews on his mind. And as he faced an unholy mountain of racism, Johnson remained undaunted and held on to his faith. James Johnson and his brother would die in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them. Amen, church? Church, if we were going to give due consideration to this African-American hymn of freedom and faith, we can hear the echoes of Hebrews 11, and we can be blessed by it. Ah, uh, some of you may be thinking to yourselves, here goes Brother Wheelock with all this race stuff again. It's October, Wheelock. Wheelock, Black History Month is in February. How does any of this nourish my soul? I'm here for the word and not a history lesson. We are Victory Church after all, the place where people are reconciled to God and to each other. I need a word of reconciliation, not segregation. But reconciliation demands, it requires, it asks of us, it pleads from us that we bring truth to bear upon it. Amen. This is not me. This is my dear friend and brother, Dr. Jonathan J. White, saying this. I'm channeling him. Reconciliation requires truth. And if you open your hearts, what is going on here? You can be spiritually fed by Johnson's lyrics. They teach us about our history. Not mine, not some other black person's. It is teaching us about our history, our struggles, our ancestors, whether you are black, white, from the AAPI communities, Middle Eastern or Latinx. Ancestors who lived and died so that we might live and be free. And that the legacy of faith that they left us nourishes the faith of our church now. Can I just get a hallelujah here that they died for us? That they lived and died in a struggle so that we could live here and have the possibility and potential to be reconciled to each other. And, and, if there was one gem of wisdom I would have you take from Johnson's 
extrapolation of the Hebrews 11 narrative, it would be this. And if you don't remember anything else I've said today, remember this. Faith is tough-minded, even when you aren't. I'll say that again, so you all are quiet on me today. Faith is tough-minded, even when you are not. I'm gonna say this one more time, and maybe I'll get a hand clap. Faith is tough-minded, even when you are not. Faith is a strategy for survival when you are in the middle of it. Amen, church? Why is it a strategy? I'm glad you asked. In the journey we call life, we are always, to a certain extent, in the middle of it. In the middle of challenges we face, in the middle of dealing with our dis, uh, dis, doused hopes. And let's just say it, in the middle of a hot mess. There are moments of triumph and relish. And then there are moments, long stretches, when we find ourselves in the proverbial valley. But oftentimes we find ourselves in circumstances where self-satisfaction is fleeting and where we strive to escape the anguish and anxiety we feel only to leap again into the unknown. This is where faith resides and is at its strongest in the middle of things. Let's see if we can break this down just a little bit, going back to the verses in Hebrews. I want us to meditate on Hebrews 11 and 1. That's the scripture which defines what faith actually is. And the scripture state, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We need to unpack this sentence just a little bit. This verse. Faith is denoted as two things. Substance and evidence. Now, I don't know about you all, but I grew up in a church where that felt obvious oftentimes. Substance and evidence. But when I started reading these scriptures again, I kept thinking to myself, I said, I'm missing something here. Why is faith the substance of something? And I don't understand, upon reflection, why is it the evidence of things not seen? If you think about it, you get a little confused. I don't know if you know who the philosopher Soren Kierkegaard is. He says that faith is really the belief in the absurd. I'm like, well, I don't understand what substance and evidence mean. I need to spend a little bit of time trying to figure out what makes faith evidence of something that's not there. So, you may or may not know this, but Some of the things that biblical scholars have shown us is that 
The Latin word for substance is substantia, which means standing under. I want that to sink into you. Substantia means standing under. Oh, what a joy divine to know that we are standing under the promises and protection of God. Now, oftentimes we use standing on. It says standing under. But biblical commentators have also argued that the writer of Hebrews is a bit vague in the way he or she, because we don't know who this is, uses the word substance. Stay with me, church. I know I'm lecturing you, but I promise I'm nearing finished here. The word substantia can mean ground or even principle upon which something else is based. The word substantia can mean ground or even the principle upon which something else is based. But what biblical commentaries, commentators suggest is that the writer of Hebrews most likely defined substance as confidence or assurance. We remember the hymn, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born in his spirit, washed. In his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. We could stop here, but it gets better, right? By contrast, the writer of Hebrews also defines faith as the evidence of things not seen. The Greek word for evidence is elenkos, which means proof. And as one biblical commentator, commentator put it, the word can also mean conviction. Saints, what emerges from these definitions is a revolutionary understanding of faith. According to some biblical commentators, the writer of Hebrews defines faith as that which serves as the ground or principle upon, the, upon which the soul and mind resolutely stands. A confidence and assurance, a conviction which withstands the pressure in our lives or the circumstances we face. Let this sink. We need a faith that can withstand the pressure. Saints, faith is a sturdy hope in the promises which God has declared and that we cannot see. In plain terms, the writer of Hebrews suggests that faith is not simply some Pollyannish, sunny side of optimism. It is a tough-minded hope that God's got it. Even when you are in the middle of it, you are trusting God even when the way seems dark. And trusting God in the middle of it is where your faith matures. 
as I begin to close, I would leave you with two insights which hopefully will gladden your soul. First, you can rest on and trust in the tough-minded faith that God is and that he is here with us. I don't have time to sink into a discussion on the relationship between the concepts of faith and rest in the book of Hebrews. But I'll say this, that as you grope around in the darkness, you might suffer bumps and bruises. The anxieties you experience in the black of night might feel unbearable. But if you lean back and lean into God's promises that he's got you, you will have the strength to carry on. And then there's a, a related point here. You can trust that faith is remaking you and preparing you for God's promises. As the writer of Hebrews notes, Abraham and the Old Testament forebears saw the promises afar off, having died in the faith, yet embracing God's guarantees. Let's look at this a little bit more closely. Abraham was called to go out into a place where he should after receive his inheritance. And what does the word tell us? Abraham obeyed and ventured out from the land of Ur, not knowing fully where he was going. What we learn here is that a tough-minded faith acknowledges that at times it feels like we are meandering and walking in circles. We can be rest assured that God is walking with you and faith is bullying you as God leads you to where he wishes you to be. The destination can seem far away and the way can seem pointless. And the book of Hebrews emphasizes that sometimes the inheritance that God has promised us is longer and more rapturous in its unfolding than our lifespans. But we rest in faith knowing that God is protecting us, loving on us, and emboldening us in preparation towards some better end. As we wait for the promise, faith transforms you into someone who serves God's greater purposes and who could potentially impact the lives of countless generations. Remember, church, Abraham wandered out not knowing where he was going. Abraham's, but Abraham's journey was less about the destination than the revelation. He would help build a faith which would solidify our relationship with the creator. God would fulfill his promises through him. We are heirs because of it. We are heirs to the promises of Abraham. When you receive the promise, it may not be what you imagined, but you can trust that it will be more beautiful and glorious than what you ever could have imagined.
James Weldon Johnson wrote his consequential lyrics at a moment when the future felt promising but uncertain. The past may very well have felt to him like a tragedy. The lyrics in Lift Every Voice and Scene declares that the road for the oppressed was stony, that the chastening rod was bitter, a people were forced to wade through the blood of the slaughter. Johnson most likely had borrowed this sentiment from the words of Apostle Paul in Romans 8, who wrote, as it is written, for the sake of God, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But Johnson, nevertheless, chose to stand on a God-centered faith, which was more solid than his or his people's weaknesses, their frailties, and ambivalence. Church, we should stand on and under that same faith. Do wait until the battle is over. Shout now, because in these same passages, Paul goes a little further. He asks, albeit rhetorically, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, the scriptures declare, because in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me just give you the Stefan Wheelock version of what Paul is saying right here. And hopefully I don't get thrown off this out of this pulpit for saying what I'm going to say. Neither anxieties, nor insecurities, nor family stress, nor the loss of loved ones and friends, nor job loss, nor dire straits shall separate us from the love of Christ. Let me go down in it just a little bit deeper. Because I don't think you actually heard me. Neither the color of my skin, nor the color of your skin, nor the tragic foolishness of racial terrorists, nor voter suppression, neither sexism, misogyny, or homophobia, neither draconian laws in the state of Texas, nor obstructionist senators in Congress, neither white nationalism nor the fear of an autocratic state shall separate me or us from the love of Christ. Why do I say this? Because we are more than conquerors. We are a sturdy even when we are in the middle of it. And Lord, we praise your name because, because we know that when you are in the middle of it with us, we're covered. We have conquered. We have done it. Because 
is light. But sometimes in the dark, in his light. As we go forward. Lord, I just bless your name today for the word. And my prayer is simple. If there are people out there, either in the audience or online, who are in the middle of it, but haven't held on yet to their faith, that they're looking for some tough-mindedness that they can only find in you. Lord, I would ask you that you would touch their hearts, change their minds, convict their souls, help them to see where you are working. That even if you don't see you, you know that you are working. When we don't hear you, we know that you are working. If there are two or three out there in the ether or in this audience who need to pray that prayer of faith, who need that kind of faith work. We will have people at the end of service who can connect with you and that there are ways online that you can connect with us. Lord, we just thank you today for your grace and for your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.